The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. Now, the Department of Housing yesterday released stark statistics showing that the number of men, women, and children in homelessness in Ireland has reached a new high 13,514 people in November. 4,105 children faced into Christmas without a home. Joining me to reflect on this and whether enough is being done to solve the crisis is Brandon O'Connor, founder of Dublin Homeless Awareness and Wayne Stanley, Simon Community's Executive Director. You're both very welcome to the studio. Thanks very much for having us. I'll start with you, Brandon. What are your reaction to these figures published today? Do you think that they are shocking, as as, as papers are calling it? Um, yeah, I definitely think it was shocking the amount of children that's in emergency accommodation. Um it's obviously very hard for children to, to live in emergency accommodation. Uh, I think every child needs a home to grow up in. Um, and there's probably a considerable amount of teenagers as well in emergency accommodation. Um, and obviously that's going to be very difficult for people to take, like uh, doing their junior cert and leaving cert and kind of college exams. Mm-hmm. And a hotel room or emergency accommodation is just not a place to be studying or living, living at all. Tell us a little bit about Dublin Homeless Awareness, how, how it started and, and your story. Um, so back in 2018, um, I was in transition year. I was 16 years of age. And growing up uh, as a child, uh, my mother was kind of always in and out of addiction and homelessness. Um, so I remember the politics teacher saying to run a project basically close to home uh, that would kind of help motivate me and uh, drive that project. So I went on to do a 12-hour sleepout uh, in my local area in Donamid. Um, so we had 20 students sleep out for 12 hours to raise awareness. That got great recognition from, uh, I think it was Noel Ring at the, at that time, uh, the Lord Mayor. Uh, we got an award from that and we went on to do different kind of events then around Dublin, Dublin, Dublin area. Um, after that, we uh, went to do an outreach service, handing out food and clothes and tea and coffee in the city centre. Uh, that went started in 2019. Um, and then unfortunately in 2021, uh, my mother relapsed and went back into homelessness. Um, so I put appeal out through the organisation and to members of the public of how to help um, such and such. And I got great recognition um, and feedback from people and I was able to secure marriage accommodation uh, through Dublin Simon Community. Um, and then she went on to a different service then uh, after six months. Um, the service that I'm actually now working in full time. Um which is really good because I'm working with the staff that are like working with my mother. So I know what kind of services are in emergency accommodation um, and what kind of supports are there. And I've I've heard you talk a lot about, you know, thinking or believing that this can be just a, a, a chapter of somebody's life, not their whole story. How do you sustain the hope of that when you see the figures coming out and each time the homelessness figures are released, it's another new record? Um, well, I believe no case is a hopeless case. Um, after... So my mother went into emergency accommodation in 2021 and in 2022, just before Christmas uh, in December, she was able to secure um, permanent accommodation through a housing body. Um, so I believe that no case is a hopeless case and it's just a phase in someone's life, homelessness. Um, and we t- definitely emphasise that um, at Dublin Homeless Awareness. But our main thing is that we want to get out to empower young people to get involved in the housing crisis mm-hmm. and to educate them on it. Um, I don't think people act, um, young people act on the housing crisis or the homeless crisis because they're not re- well educated about it. And I think these figures coming out in the media will definitely educate people on it. And um, I don't think people get really involved in homelessness until it affects them close to home mm-hmm. or they see it in their n- nearby city or town. I think that's kind of one of the issues 
facing us really because when I saw these statistics I I actually didn't think they were shocking. I thought they're horrible but I just don't think that people are shocked by them anymore that it's not got it's like when the COVID like we were shocked when there were two cases of COVID in the east of the country. We were not shocked when there was 3,000 daily cases you know it just became this number um, and I'm wondering uh, Wayne from the Wayne Stanley Simon Community Executive Director um if, if, if you agree with me, if you think that these are shocking figures or if enough is being done. Oh, they are. And I, and I think I said before that, that we we really have to be careful not to lose that. Yes. And I'm... I'm to be shocked at mm-hmm. the numbers. Because, uh, I mean, and Brenda has, Brandon has illustrated that really well, is th- there's two things. One is, like, there's 13,500 people, 4,105 of those are children in their families who are suffering a preventable trauma. Mm-hmm. And that's the bit that people really have to understand. I mean, nobody's saying we can end homelessness tomorrow, that there's there's some switch we can pull, that there's, there's an easy solution. We're getting these texts in saying, well, there's, you know, she's listening this morning about the continuous housing crisis. There's thousands of homes left vacant through the winter, 17 on my street alone, and families crying out for a home. Geraldine from Westport. One of the things that, that we have been saying is the government needs to do more about vacancy. They need to do more about dereliction. They're some of the avenues. So there's no single solution. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I heard some of your earlier programme and you're right, there's no one solution to the housing crisis. Yes. It's, it's a sort of a multi-phased uh, programme that's needed. We do know what we need is more social housing. Okay. Part of the reason we do that, like, I mean, uh, what we know the world over, and the, the evidence of this is more and more strong, if you don't have secure, affordable accommodation, mm-hmm. you have increased levels of homelessness. That's regardless of levels of addiction in the society, regardless of the levels of mental health issues, regardless of the levels of family breakup, all those things that can t- contribute to somebody experiencing homelessness and mm-hmm. makes them more vulnerable to homelessness. But if you have a secure, affordable accommodation, you will see less homelessness. And when we look at these figures, 13,514 being the, new, the latest one, how many of those obviously how many of those are the Simon community engaging with but what what are, what is the breakdown statistics there of like how many people have moved in with their mother how many people have literally nowhere to go and are in emergency accommodation how many people are on the streets because I'm pretty sure that people don't understand the full figure Okay, so, so this figure is not the, the full picture of homelessness Okay, this picture is the number of people who are in uh, state funded homeless emergency accommodation. Wow. Be that family hubs or uh, hostels for, for single people. Uh, it doesn't include the number of people who are sleeping rough. It doesn't include the number of people who are sleeping on a couch. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't include the number of young people who are maybe in temporary accommodation. Um, so it actually doesn't reflect the number of people who are in need the, the of housing. Of homelessness, no. no. Okay. I mean, what, and, and that's very hard to calculate. And, and I don't say that to kind of try and shock or try and say, well, actually, it's 30,000 or 60,000. Yes. I say that purely because these, when people are understanding the, the, the scale of homelessness, you, you, uh, homelessness, as uh, Brandon was saying, is a phase in somebody's life. And how do we make that phase shorter? And how do we make th- that trauma happening in the first instance uh, less common? So the, there's two things you do. If we have the affordable, secure, affordable accommodation in place, less people will have to come into homelessness because the, the, a lot of the big driver of the family homelessness in particular has been people losing their home in the private rental sector. And what you see is in the trajectory of that, and I should acknowledge my, my colleagues in, in Focus Ireland have done really good research on this, the um, families will end up 
they will lose their accommodation in the private rental market. They will go and stay with family and friends. They will do everything to avoid having to cross the threshold of a homeless service with holding their child's hand. Uh, but those situations aren't sustainable. Okay. Uh, and you, get, you find a year, a year and a half, two years into that, what was supposed to be for a few weeks, uh, people have to present to their local authority and end up in a family hub situation. So uh, there, there, there was lots of opportunities to find alternatives for people. Uh, one of the things we've been calling for is there is uh, accommodation in local authorities. We are seeing more properties being built. Uh, we need to start allocating them more directly to people in homelessness and start driving these numbers down. There is also, even in the face of these horrific numbers, there is also opportunities to prevent homelessness. We're seeing it in the Simon communities across Ireland, in Galway Simon, in Midwest Simon, where we're engaging with people early and preventing them from ending up in homelessness by providing the supports. Because you, you have time and uh, the resources, you can prevent people. Ending. Is that about supporting the families or is it about, like opposition would say, an eviction ban or is it about supporting landlords through financial incentives to stay in the rental market or should the supports just be going to the families, in your opinion? And then I'll come to you, Brandon. On the so uh, in December 2022, we put forward a uh, homeless prevention bill which would in essence, give local authorities for anyone who presented at imminent risk of homelessness uh, as their landlord is selling up or, or uh, evicting the person because they wanted to back, that the, the state can step in and give uh, an extension to the notice to quit. Th- then you could provide more resources and more support into the person for the period of that extension and prevent them ending up in homelessness. So that would be an eviction ban, but a very targeted one. Okay. Um, and that's something that got cross-party support and in government said they would work to implement it. We're now in January 2024 and it hasn't been implemented. So those are the kind of practical solutions we can come to. Fundamentally, but are those not more secure, affordable accommodation. Okay. Um, Brandon, can you just give us kind of an insight into what you're seeing when you work, when you work out on the streets? Like, are you seeing many families with children out there? W- what is it like? Um, we haven't really come across children recently, but when we have, it's been in guard stations um, okay. because they've been so scared to sleep on the street, they have to sleep in a guard station. Um, and it's kind of a grey area. Um, there's so many, there's only so many beds for families and children. Mm-hmm. Um, and only a few organisations will take on families and children as well. So it's kind of a grey area. Um, it is very upsetting to see. Um, some of the lads on the team have children, so it's very upsetting for them to see. Um, but we can kind of only refer them on to the likes of Dublin Simon or the guards, um, so it is kind of very upsetting in a grey area. Um, but we do see a lot of young people on the street at the moment that are between the ages of 18 to 25. All of our team is age range in the same age range. I think it's really good that we can, young people can help young people. Um, and that's what our team is about, it's about young people care too. And how are those young people ending up on the streets? What are their, like, what are kind of the typical stories? Why are they um, not? A lot of issues that we come across is fam- family issues. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a stigma out there that there's a lot of, like, a lot of people on the street because of drug addiction or alcohol, uh, alcoholism. Uh, but I think a lot of people fall into drug addiction or alcoholism while they're on the street. Uh, they find, they're kind of used as a coping mechanism. Uh, we had a well-known alcoholic uh, in the city centre. He went into prison and he came back out and he had a drug addiction because he fell into drugs because how to prison. In prison. Okay. In prison. So it's just what people fall into um, and people are just kind of going to resort into drugs or alcohol to kind of cope with their mental health um, and obviously being on the street is just going to destroy a mental health. Like We have a text in here from Paul um, and I'll come to you on this Wayne. There are thousands of three bedroom council houses with one person living in them while there are whole families living in hotel rooms. The whole system is completely backwards. That's from Paul. 
is there a question around the efficiency of the current system and whether, but like you can't just move people out of their house either. There is actually um, one one of the, the issues there is actually the absence or the shortage of one and two bed uh, properties that people could move into. Okay. So I think it, it, there's, you know, nobody's proposing that you start, you know, evicting people out of their, their family home. But I think there is a lot of people who would like to downsize. Mm-hmm. What they don't want to do is downsize and lose their community. If you're yes, an older okay. person, you want your supports around you, you want your friends, you want to be able to continue that. But in terms of sustaining, uh, retain, staying in a home for longer, perhaps a smaller unit might be more appropriate. But if those aren't there, where does the person go? So um, I think the, the, what we need to do is ma- match that. And, and one of the things that, that we're seeing is, uh, w- w- again, we've been calling on government and local authorities to do is to ramp up the number of one and two bed accommodation that they are building um, because that's what's needed. There's 60% of the, the housing list uh, is one person units. And are there a lot of people who could, you know, if the rental market was less, because I, I, I know that there are people who have houses for rent and they are afraid of not being able to get that asset when they want it because it's their pension or their child is going to go to college. And so they're saying, OK, well, if 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 another government come in and things change, I'm not going to be able to sell this property, so I need to get out now. And there are people in accommodation, emergency accommodation, who potentially could be in the rental market and pay rent if there were enough, uh, yes, supports, but enough properties available to them. So is it kind of about... I guess how much of it is social housing that needs to be given to people for free or, you know, who, who needs to be given to people, people need to be housed or how many people need to be supported to continue their jobs and pay rent in a market that su- supports them to do so? Well, there's two sides to that. Well, the first thing, just to be, uh, and I'm sure you didn't mean it this way, but uh, just say social housing isn't free. People no, pay you know what I mean. But, but I know what you yes, mean. Sorry. Should the state be providing it over the, the private rental market? Because should, we have a text here, sorry, from John Limerick who kind of says it better than I did. It's not the job of landlords to solve homelessness. Landlords have become an easy target and they're selling up in droves because of it. Uh, I agree with you. It, it, there's a perception that people have been talking down landlords and that's not something I have ever done okay. in the four years I've been in this role. And I don't think it's something, if you if you listen back to my colleagues across the sector, it, it, it doesn't really, uh, it's, it, there's a false narrative around that. In my okay. So there's but I do pace. know landlords do feel it, which, mm-hmm. means, which, adds, which means there's some truth to it. But what I would say is, John's absolutely right, landlords are not responsible for social housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has happened is the state has, through the housing assistance payment, become massively over-reliant on the private rental market. There are 58,000 households uh, on a housing assistance payment, which means they're securing their social home in the private rental market. Any functioning system, you would have an element of the housing assistance payment and allow people to engage with the private rental market, perhaps because at some point they're going to progress in their career and they want to buy and they want to come out of the social housing system or they need that level of flexibility. Single parents, as an example, perhaps you can rent in an area close to family where you'll have that network of support and that allows uh, single parents to progress in their career and then move on. Uh, lots of cases like that. So you, do, you want that flexibility in a system. The issue now is the over-reliance on the private rental market. So it's about getting the right balance. And I think where we are at the moment, what's very clear is the, the lack of affordability in the private rental market is what's causing and driving homelessness as well as the lack of supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and the over-reliance of the state on the private rental market, a market that isn't functioning yes. well for tenants, yeah. um, 
uh, is a is a policy failure and a market failure and that has to be addressed. Yeah, it absolutely does and I think the you know the rent caps and all those rent pressure zones that it's just not a system that's working. We've loads of texts coming in here. The fact that the country is depending on private landlords to provide housing is a dreadful comment on our housing policies. It's shocking that thousands of kids are living in emergency accommodation that is no life and it will cause mental health and other problems down the line. Can't the children be fostered until their parents find suitable accommodation? Well, I don't know that that's a great idea taking children from their families for that reason. Um, but a lot of people saying that it's Irish people's obsession with owning property that has led to this present chaos. That is uh, Brandon O'Connor, founder of Dublin Homeless Awareness and Wayne Stanley, Simon Community Executive Director. Thank you so much for joining me in studio for your insights and for your experience for sharing. The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.